Hello, everyone. This is Robin Kennedy. It is Thursday, May 30th, 2019, and welcome to the governance portion of PGIP technology. And tonight we're going to talk about event response management. Now, before everybody starts to ask me lots of questions about, you know, disaster recovery and, and that sort of thing, I want to establish a common understanding of what response planning is, right? So business continuity versus disaster recovery, we'll talk about that. Then we'll review one method of event response. So as with a million other things in IT, there are a million ways to do something. So this is not the only way to do events, event response or response planning. There are lots of ways to do it. And this is one way that we've been successful in one of my companies and our clients um, appear to really like it. And it's very easy and well laid out for them. And then I'll do a case study of our experience with Hurricane Katrina in 2005. So that's the agenda for tonight. So first, you know, what is business continuity versus disaster recovery? So business continuity often gets confused with disaster recovery. And in IT, we are used to hearing the phrase disaster recovery and doing backups. And are we mirroring servers? Are we mirroring our environments? And do we have failover from one data center to the next? That's all great, but that's part of the disaster recovery realm. Business continuity is a plan of action. It's a plan that's created by a company to ensure that business will continue during and after a disaster. It's a collection of processes and procedures that we take to make sure our operations will continue. And it means the difference between surviving or a total shutdown of the ability to do business. So, and a great business continuity plan is based on relentless analysis and isolation of critical business processes. Disaster recovery, on the other hand, is a subset of business continuity planning. It involves restoring the critical systems and the vital support systems that were defined by the business in the business continuity plan. So it's not what Jonathan or Jim think is important in the environment. It's what the business needs to continue business operations. They'll determine recovery time objectives and they'll assign recovery priority to different systems and processes. And then they hand that to IT and say, okay, IT, this is the order I need things brought back within a certain period of time, 24 hours, 48 hours, et cetera. And then recovering communications, hardware, and IT assets after a disaster is included in disaster recovery. So the important thing to remember is that business continuity is not disaster recovery. And conversely, disaster recovery is not business continuity. So a business continuity program has a disaster recovery component. A business continuity program also has a re event response component. So we're gonna talk about that tonight. So what you see on the screen is one of our um, business continuity management programs. So this is the easiest way to look at the components of a BCM program. So across the top, you'll see program management and governance, policy management and enterprise crisis program. These things across the top here span all of the pillars. 
So the policies and standards, defined objectives, mission criticality of systems and processes, the enterprise risk appetite. So what is um, the company, what is their appetite for risk? Leadership commitment and accountability, monitoring and testing and training and awareness. All of these are governance programs across the business continuity program. Another governance program that spans all the pillars is program evaluation and monitoring. So this has to be embedded across all the programs in the enterprise to make sure that everybody's on the same page, everybody's speaking the same vernacular, everybody has the same playbook so that if an event did happen that impacted multiple um, sites or multiple locations, then everybody's calling the shots from the same playbook. So within that playbook or within that program, you'll see a risk assessment, a business impact analysis, recovery plans, and training and awareness. So overall, you're gonna see policies and pr procedures. Um, you're gonna see the company determine the risk appetite. So what is our risk appetite? How long can we be down? Is there a way for us to manually conduct business manually make money, manually put heads in beds, in the case of Marriott or, or a hospitality company. Can we sell a car, service a loan? Can we service a bank account? Regardless of what your business is, what is the risk appetite for the business? Can you see it now? Jonathan. Can everybody see my screen? Good. It looks like Jonathan left. So, overall, a business continuity program looks like this, depending on the size of the company, what their products are, the kinds of things that they do, um, if their operations are spread out across different locations, if they're in the cloud, if they have a centralized data center, if they rent a data center or a data center space, whatever, this program is going to fit in any kind of business. And it's design, designed to be defined globally, right? So across all the locations, all the lines of business, whatever you do, but plan and respond locally. Now, the reason for this I covered just a few minutes ago, which is if something happens in DC, but not in New York, even though they have the same plan, New York could possibly resume operations while DC recovered. But New York is going to have different demands than a company in DC. Most of the time, people in New York do, um, don't have a car. So they do um, um, transportation on subways and buses and taxis and things like that. And we saw this during 9-11. One of the big things that went down there was the ability to move around. Whereas this happened in DC as well when the plane hit the Pentagon, but the, the city itself isn't as dependent on public transportation as New York would be. So the program, let's say that one company had an office in DC and one company had an office in um, New York City during 9-11. They had the same plan, but they responded locally 
with local contacts, local processes, and manage their situations locally. So that's how defining globally and responding locally would work. The first thing you do is establish the key drivers. So what does the company need? And again, this doesn't, this doesn't uh, mean just larger companies. This works for smaller companies too. So where are key offices located? You focus on the ability to communicate and, and continue working for your clients and for your customers. You look at concern for employees. Stakeholders and clients expect to work with resilient companies, so other people expect us to be up when they need us. If there's a shift in company direction, is there centralized governance and oversight, a standardized approach? Is there a desire to be ISO 22301 certified, which is the business continuity standard? Can we demonstrate readiness and resiliency and inspire confidence in our employees and, and clients? And a lot of this sounds like, like very enterprise scale for large companies, for Fortune 500 companies, and I'm telling you it really isn't. It works for the smaller companies too. It even works for families. So then, then you determine your guiding principles, right? So what is your risk appetite? So employees and support for employees should be at the top of the list. One of the key takeaways from, from Hurricane Katrina recovery was the company's assumption that data and customers and money and bank accounts came first and employees and welfare of their employees were at the bottom. So the biggest mistake companies can make is to forget to include recovery resources and processes with employees at the top because the employees are the ones that execute the processes. Focus on maintaining client-customer interaction, clear roles and responsibilities and accountabilities defined. You don't want people running around during a, a um, an event like Katrina downtown, and I'm gonna do this, and then someone else does something different, and someone delivers water over here, and someone's um, centralizing actions over in another place. You don't want that chaos, it just adds to the disaster. So clear roles, responsibilities, and accountabilities are critical. And executive management, defined in the plan, provides overall command and control. It also should be adaptable for different impact and then can be adapted for other offices. So this is the type of guiding principles that companies can define. Next, the stakeholders in the plan, which is departments in the company and the employees, need to consider these things. So employees want to know how will the account follow them? Will they know when to report back to work or if they have a job? What support will be provided by the company, by the company in the case of a long-term situation? And then do they have a role in the disaster or the event? Your clients or customers wanna know, can you continue to meet their needs? Can you maintain the privacy of their information? And how will you service their products or their accounts or their systems? Executives want to know if we were prepared to respond. 
They want to know what we should offer our employees. They want to know how we will resume communications. They want to know how we'll assess our ability to deliver. And they'll want to know how we appropriately prioritize our work. Now, this applies not only on an enterprise scale, but on a department scale as well. So you're working in IT, executive management wants to know that you have a plan and you have tested that plan, that you are prepared, that you know what to offer to do with your employees, that you know how to resume communications with your customers, which could be business customers, that you've tested it and you know how to assess your ability to deliver your own plan in IT. And then how will you appropriately prioritize your work? So executives are gonna wanna know that from you. And then the board of directors, so the company wants to know, can they um, obtain their ISO certification? Are we addressing the risks? Do we have enough money put away? Have we tested our plan? Do we have enough insurance? Have we stocked the ATMs on the evacuation route? So these are the kinds of questions that are gonna arise from all of these stakeholders that when you create a response plan, you're gonna have to design it so that these questions can be answered. So scenarios, what could happen? We could have a hurricane or a tornado and there are systems marching across the country right now and tornadoes are dropping everywhere. I've had to sequester myself a couple of times and my dogs and, and my family because here comes these storms out of nowhere with tornadoes. Flooding, snowstorm, terrorism, which is a very real thing here in Virginia, um, being so close to DC and a pandemic, we've had to deal with that from time to time when I worked with the banks. So pandemic issues at all of the um, branches and civil unrest. So in a politically um, lively climate, I can say civil unrest and protests and pop-up protests or resulting rioting could also be drivers. So we need to create plans, a hurricane plan, tornado plan, flood plan, snowboard. We need to think of what could possibly happen and then have a plan for it. Or do we? Do we really have to have a plan for every possible event? The zombie apocalypse, do we have to have a plan for that? Do we have to have a plan for Ebola? You know, do we have to have a plan for every disaster or event that you could possibly think of? No. No, you don't. And I'll show you how. So recovery plan objectives should provide command and control to prepare and respond to any type of, of event. Clear roles and responsibilities and authorities, and then contain specific activities to account for your employees, address their needs, understand your customer needs, prioritize the work in progress, and determine the work to discontinue work that can just wait, and then provide tools to assist with plan execution. So I'm gonna show you the secret sauce for Kennedy and Lee Consulting, which is one of my companies, developed by my business partners called the Event Response Arc. The Event Response Arc is a visual representation of escalation and de-escalation of an event. The event response arc is a tool to determine which level of action to initiate and has a common vernacular to quickly inform others of the status. Using the event response arc and its processes, the event type is irrelevant. 
plan for the impact and not the event. So using the event response arc, it doesn't matter the type of event. Whether it's a tornado, you're going to have, have um, destruction, you're going to have lack of communication, you're going to have um, no electricity. With a flood, same thing. With a hurricane, same thing. So the impacts, no electricity, um, not inability to communicate, and, and um, inability to get to our areas or, or actually manipulate our systems, those are impacts. So it doesn't matter the type of event that caused that impact. So what you do is you plan for electricity to be down. You plan for, um, for communications to be down. So you plan for the impact of an event rather than planning for the individual of event. Let me show you how to do that. So first, this is the process. Again, Kennedy and Lee Consulting. First, it's a very simple process. There's a threat notice. Oh my gosh, there's a snowstorm coming. Oh my gosh, there's a hurricane coming. And we've had a lot of experience with that over here on the East Coast. So are the triggers met? So your plan's gonna take, gonna contain triggers. Is there a potential for actual employee impact? Multiple business areas, so significantly impacted. Is there a potential for an extended or escalating event? Could it last for days and days? You'll hear this later when I go through the Katrina, uh, Katrina example. Is there a potential for media coverage? Sounds like my risk assessment, doesn't it? And is there a potential for significant impact to one or more clients or customers? or locations. So you receive a threat notice. Are one of these triggers met? If no, then manage to normal business as usual. If one of these triggers, if the answer is yes, then convene the response team. Manage the event using the event response arc I'm about to show you and then close the event. It's a very, very simple process. But let me show you where it can break down. This is the event response arc. So down on the left, far left column, this is level of activity. So level of activity on the part of your response team and level of activity on the part of the resources related to your response. So down here is zero or normal activity. Up here is 100% engaged. So level zero is business as usual. So the business continuity people, or we're just doing our regular jobs, no big deal. But we get wind of something going to happen five to seven days out, then we go to level one. We monitor the event. Two to four days out is level two. We prepare for the event. Level three, we deploy whatever resources we've defined or whatever processes we've defined. The event happens. And then from that point, it's recovery from the event and then closing out. So the very beginning here is threat planning. So you're planning for the threat, the things that could happen. Tornadoes coming or um, uh, thunderstorms are coming, or hurricanes coming, or floods coming, or um, there's an outbreak of H1N1 somewhere, or there's, you name the disaster, 
right? Some terrorism, um, threat level one for terrorism. So in this area here, you're planning. Now these colors will correspond to what I'm about to show you. So during the time of the event and after the event, you are responding to the impact. So this is the event response arc. Now this looks a little confusing, but the colors on the previous screen, let me go back, correspond, colors and levels, correspond to the colors and levels here. So if you turn that on its side, so BAU, we're doing ongoing activities, have all um, employees updated our alert system, is all required operational and recovery information updated? Do we know where everyone is? Do we have all the right phone numbers, et cetera? So let's say we move to level one. We're five to seven days out. Five to seven days out, does it appear that we need to activate the response team? Were one of the triggers met? What's the potential impact? Have we thought of the all at potential impacts? Have we initiated a communication plan? Do we know what that communication plan is going to be? So here comes that hurricane. Now we're at level two. We're two to four days out. Two to four days out, we're preparing. What are the likely impacts on people, locations, and technology? Are employees potentially in danger? So we make some decisions there based on the event. Are all the response team members required? They may not be. We could send certain ones to evacuate and just keep certain ones that we need. Are additional communications required? Have we prepared a command center alternate locations? Now we're getting close. When now we're at level three, 48 hours to zero hours of the, of the event. Now we deploy. Are there changes to work status? Do we call off work? Do we tell people to go home? Do we alert all of our employees? Is there guidance from local response organizations and building management? Is the building prepared? What work is a priority? What work should stop? Then the event happens. Do we activate the response team? They should have been a long time ago. Do we activate call trees and alert find? Well, if the event is happening, Everybody should be just hunkered down, regardless of the type of the event. Critical recovery actions, two to 24 hours following the event. Are changes to work status needed? What resources are required? Um, do we know what the impact to employees is and what is the work priority? What work should stop? What work should continue? 24 hours, 25 hours after the event, do we need to change the work status hotline? Are there changes to the recovery strategy? Do we return to normal actions? You could honestly stay within this area for a number of days or even weeks. Uh, most response plans are designed to be down one, two, three, four days. In the um, event of Hurricane Katrina, they were down four months. They hadn't designed a plan that was beyond three days. So that was one of the big issues after that hurricane, Katrina and Rita. So a lot was learned during that period of time. So you could spend a lot of time in this first response and critical recovery actions before you move on to return to normal and close out. So as you can see, the event response arc corresponds 
to a list of activities and key decisions. So level zero right here, here's the key decisions. Level one here, monitor, here's the key decisions. Now the key decisions aren't gonna be the same for every department or organization. So I'm gonna take you on a field trip. So I'm gonna show you an actual plan that has been executed that we helped a company develop that had offices in DC, New York, Denver, Miami, and Los Angeles. Um, a large multinational company and with humongous clients like Google and Facebook. So what they had was a team of people that made decisions and let's just call these the leadership team in DC, all people should do this and IT should do this. So during level zero, when nothing's really happening, right? The business as usual stuff, these are the actions that should be taken by these three departments. Now, if you think an, an event is expected to impact within five to seven days, so this is level one, so there's a, an event gonna happen and we're in the level one monitor stage. Now, the response team is there, practice groups are there, human resources, IT, building operations, public affairs, and logistics. Each one of those departments has a list of tasks that they have to do. Each one of these departments actually has their own response book, has a little red, green, and yellow tabs on it, so they know exactly where they have to go depending on what response level they are in, in the um, event response arc. So the response team, they're in level one, they know they've got to do these things. When level two hits, the response team has to do these things. When level three hits, response team has to do these things. When level four, when the event is happening, this is what the response team does. IT doesn't have but one thing to do when, the, when it's hitting the fan during level four. Level five, this is recovery actions after the event has passed. So now IT has to do all of these things and all these other departments have their, their own assignments too. Now, one thing that I'm not showing you, okay, so this is the overall command and control response plan. So everything I just took you to through. So let's use IT as an example. IT, this is their highest level response plan. There are, there is a deeper level response plan within IT that has a lot more task list. So if you think about it, level one, let me look at a good example here. Okay, notify their provider of an event, plan recovery teams on alert as appropriate. Okay, this is great. Re place recovery teams on alert as appropriate. These recovery teams within IT are gonna have their own checklist like this by response level. So they're gonna have their own. So you can think of this one you're looking at right now as the mothership response plan. Same thing with um, help desk sites. So they're going to have their own response plan that's formatted just like this, 
level two, prepare, but their tasks are gonna be different. So this is the overall governance response plan that I'm showing you. But each department has subplans that look very similar that have to be um, organized like this, but they have their own very detailed specific tasks. So that's our field trip. This is a real response plan that's been used several times. So incidentally, um, after we did the response plan and created the response plan for all these sites for this company, we actually did the, um, the um, tabletop exercise for each one of them. And we had lots of fun coming up with what would the, the uh, scenarios be. So for example, in uh, DC, we made uh, the political climate's really funky in that city right now. So we made a huge protest where all of the city streets were locked down. And there was a bomb exploded in a trash can. Um, in New York City, we did a pandemic. So we did a, an outbreak of a, of a hybrid flu virus. Um, in Denver, I think we did a derailment of a train that had a bunch of noxious gas. Um, in Miami, we had a, a gas main leak um, break during downtown Miami. And so we had these, these teams at these locations execute the plan I just showed you according to the scenarios that we defined for them. So then they got familiar with the response plan book. They knew what actions that they had to take per which level they were in during the response event arc. And they learned how to communicate with each other, the response team and the response team leadership. Incidentally, funny story. <laughs> so after we completed that engagement and and um, thank you very much. We'll take it from here. We got paid and everything was fine. Turns out all this stuff starting to happen. There were huge protests in DC and, and some bombs went off and fires and turning over cars. And then um, there was a pandemic and an H1N1 scare in New York City. And then a train derailed out in Denver and then a gas main broke. And so it was so weird. It was like every scenario that we came up with um, started to happen across the country over the course of like the next year, year and a half. So we, you know, got out of that business. So we, we don't do um, response plan um, tabletop exercises anymore because I don't know, they just, whatever we do seems to happen. So any questions so far? I think I just have one individual here. To write the next one with the company IT department hits the Powerball. Oh, you are so right. I should do that. I never thought of that. So what if everybody hits the Powerball and quits tomorrow, right? And we used to say, well, if I get hit by a bus, you know, what, what am I, what, who's going to do my job? Well, I, now I say, because that's so negative, when I win the lottery, <laughs> here are my desktop procedures so you can do my job, right? So now let's talk about Hurricane Katrina. Let me check what time it is real quick so I can see how much time I have. Okay, so I'll try to wrap this up. So um, this is uh, Lauren Kennedy's presentation. It was a SVP at Capital One Bank at InfoSec World. We presented at InfoSec World and uh, she presented the recovery strategies for Capital One Bank at the time. I presented um, about audit findings and then uh, another one a person on my team presented about uh, think like a hacker. So this presentation, I'll go through it really quickly. Um, it's already in the public domain, so because it was presented in InfoSec World, so everything you see in here is public information. 
So back in the day, so um, September 1st, 2005, Capital One was had a deal to take over Hibernia Bank. So Hibernia Bank is a, a, a company of a lot of branch banks from Louisiana to Texas. And I think there were 350 branches. Um, we were supposed to, Capital One at the time was supposed to, to merge with that bank to actually acquire them on September 1st, 2005. But things happened. So prior to the events of Hurricane Katrina and Rita, um, they had planned for a disaster and tested rigorously, but the focus was on mission critical applications and focus on some next tiers, but not many. Their testing scenario duration was much shorter term outage. So they tested for a maximum of three days. And as we know from history, uh, the outages from Katrina lasted weeks and months. They assumed that the infrastructure would be available. It, by infrastructure, I mean water, sewage, electricity, none of which were available in that city for an extended period of time. And then their recovery requirements assumed a more business as usual instead of an event that would change the way they did business. Now, how many people know that New Orleans is below sea level? Guess where this company's data center was? In downtown New Orleans. So their data center, where the crown jewels of their company was downtown, which is where everything happened. So here's a graph of August 26, 2005, as um, Hurricane Katrina starts to move toward the coast. Notice it's aiming straight at um, New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Hurricane Rita, just uh, less than a month later, came and hit just to the west of the same area. Did they even have a backup site hotspot? Not at that time, Jonathan. This was 2005. So they were part of like most companies, right? So the cloud wasn't a thing back then in 2005. Um, they took backup tapes, tapes and sent backup tapes offsite. So Katrina, hurricanes Katrina and Rita hit the heart of the franchise. So from Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas, 350 branches, 750 ATMs along that route, and over 3,000 associates were impacted, the entire footprint of the bank. So Katrina coming to shore looked like this. So there's the eye of Katrina, and everybody knows that a hurricane spins counterclockwise. So while downtown in the data center, where the employees had brought their families to hunker down with them for the Cat 5 hurricane that was about to barrel into New Orleans. All of them woke up the next morning after the hurricane saying, ah, it wasn't so bad, we made it. But what they didn't consider is, right, Jim, the dirty side of the hurricane, bringing the winds back toward them. When this happened, the levees broke and at 7.30 that morning, the water started to rise on the first floor of the data center and kept rising. 
So the next day, New Orleans looked like this. Um, I went down there after some of the waters receded, but it was an absolute disaster. Anyone here from New Orleans or Louisiana? It was unbelievable. Here's a picture of one of our branches. See how the water is up over the windows and the ATM? This is one of our branches. So the bricks, the sides torn completely off. This is one of the vaults in downtown New Orleans in the basement. Now, the thing about these vaults is inside were safety deposit boxes with customer information. Here's another vault, the main vault. So inside here where you see these bars, there are safety deposit boxes. They were just standing open and water coming out of them. It was incredible. This is Hibernia. This is one of the drive-throughs. Now, from a these next pictures are from a from a technology or an information security perspective should should just have you smacking your forehead. So this is one of the branches. Another branch. An ATM. So we actually had a crew of um, security folk. We had a, a very good um, security, internal um, security department, and they actually sent people out. Um, and we actually hired some former Navy SEALs that went out and to track down all of the ATMs because they were they disappeared. Ah, money laundering, right, Jim? Uh, this should make any information security or information risk individual just panic. All of that paper is customer information. All of that paper has PII on it. That's loan documents and deposit documents. And you name the type of information, it's right there. So after it flooded, when people were trying to wade through the streets next to the data center, you can see bank statements floating down the street, checks floating down the street. So a little bit about the data center. So this is the data center right here. These are the, um, the employees and their families. So about three dozen people in the data center and they wrote out the storm in the data center because they thought it would be more, more safe than riding it out wherever they lived in Baton Rouge, and it probably was. So they were safe again until the next morning, but this is the water that came up. You can see it back there into the data center, but it flooded everything. So again, like I said, tapes. So the, all of the tapes, terabytes of data, were boxed up, taped up, and then run to the roof of that building. So what happened was they were trying to get evacuated. And of course, think about it now, communications are down. No one can call each other. Cell phones don't work. Paging doesn't work. Um, the military didn't get there until days later. And rescue helicopters, they were working in other places. So we have three dozen people on the roof of that building and you know, 90 some degree temperatures and all of the tapes for the entire bank in a plastic bag 
or multiple plastic bags. The backup mainframe that they had was waiting for them in Dallas. So part of the recovery plan was to set up a recovery um, infrastructure and in mainframe in Dallas, Texas, which they did, but they couldn't get the recovery tapes to rebuild the infrastructure to Dallas. Um, employees and the tapes floated down the street to a nearby hospital because the roof of the data center was too weak to accept a helicopter. Now, there were no helicopters available. Um, ben Gotro, who was one of my one of my leaders in the area, he um he made a phone call to some of his Bayou buddies who had a helicopter and made arrangements for them to pick up these 36 people like on the third day. So think about it, no food, no water, no facilities. So yes, Jim, they engaged the Cajun Army and Ben's people said, okay, I'll come get you from the hospital. So they loaded up and that's the picture you see right here. All the employees and the tapes, that's a bag of them right there, headed down the street to the hospital for evacuation. When they got to the hospital, this is the hospital rooftop, and the helicopter came in. The helicopter was waved off because of gunshots downtown. So what people started to hear on the news was that there was a sniper, and that's why they couldn't make any rescues because it was just chaos. Now there was tons of looting, tons of crime, stuff everywhere, and there was shooting. So the helicopter got waved off, and the three dozen people had to spend the night on the roof of the hospital until the next morning, the helicopter came back and started taking them off in groups of three or four. So they were all rescued at the end of the day and the tapes got out and the company, the bank was rebuilt in Texas. So one last thought is this is the Hibernia Tower in New Orleans. So you notice something about this photograph other than the obvious. So Hibernia Tower lit for everyone to see. There's not a single light in any of these buildings and any windows because there was no power anywhere but in the Hibernia Tower. Now with all of the crime and all of the looting and all of the chaos that was happening, would you light this beacon for everybody to converge on this bank, on this one building at once, when you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have any processes, you don't have any water, you don't have any food, you don't have any security, you don't have any way to manage all of these people that would flock to the light in downtown New Orleans. So we were um, pretty upset that they, that they found a way to light the tower while the rest of the city was dark. They didn't think about the risks of this happening. And what I just said did happen. So in summary, plan for the impact, not the event. Plan for, for what could happen, not the, not the event itself. Then you provide scripts for each department, for each stage of the event. Make sure that you have clear command and control. You know who's in charge, what they're supposed to do, and how you perform 
in that process. And then test the plan, test the plan, test the plan. Do it over and over again. So one of the things that we did, because we didn't own Hibernia when this happened, we were about to close on the deal and we didn't own them. So we helped them out as best as we could, but we couldn't change anything until after we owned them. So once we owned them, we changed everything. So the CIO asked Lauren, Lauren, what are you going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again in New Orleans? Her response <laughs> went down in history. It was, I plan to not have a data center below sea level ever again. And she was right. And that data center isn't there anymore. So, and they also don't have a headquarters there. So there's just Capital One branches around. But she incorporated into the plans from that point forward that using the event response arc. So what she would do is make sure that everybody knew where they were supposed to be when. Um, people, key folks in these departments had their own event response plan that corresponded with hers. They had a call every hour. So we had five hurricanes hit us at once. I think it was 2007, eight or nine here in Virginia, back to back five hurricanes over the course of six weeks. So Lauren's plan at that point ran like clockwork. So everything we were able to stock the ATMs um, on evacuation routes, for example, uh, most people wouldn't think of that, right? So you're evacuating, you need cash. So people along the evacuation routes would needed our ATMs. So she would make sure the ATMs were stocked. So a lot of things like that changed in the, in the program. And from that point forward, managing the bank and the experience of the bank was all about managing the impact instead of a specific event. I mean, she created a plan around everything from, you know, the, the flu epidemic that hit and, and each branch had a plan and they knew exactly what they had to do um, when they're, if their employees were out, if everyone had to get immunized, if people came in, I mean, how, how did you manage the potential um, outbreak of it in, in your branch? Imagine everyone in your branch is out with the flu. You have to close the, the branch. You can't do business. So we had to get to that granular level. So the impact of a flu or the impact of all employees being unavailable. And so she helped everyone create the plans to deal with the impact of no matter what could happen. So any questions? I mean, that was a, that was fun to go through that. It was, it was a pretty scary time. Sounds crazy. I'm it glad was. you're okay. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was pretty insane. So this is why I don't do this as my primary job. I couldn't take worry in 24-7. You know, when's the shoe going to drop? What's going to happen next? Or keeping your eye on, is there a hurricane? Is there this? Is there some civil unrest or terrorism? I mean, you've got to have your brain totally keyed in to what it's about. I mean, and I don't know if any of you um, heard about that that man, I wish I knew his name because he really deserves for his name to be known in the, um, the World, World Trade Center um, during 9-11. And leading up, the years leading up to 9-11, he, and he wrote a book and he, 
he actually said that the biggest vulnerability for those towers was an airplane strike. And everybody, of course, thought he was crazy. But what he did for the companies that hired him as a consultant is he made them test, 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 test. He did drill after drill after drill after drill with them. He made them, you know, evacuate the 120 something floor. He took them through it. So he was like the most love hated person at this company as a consultant. And then 9-11 hit. So the planes hit the towers. The company he worked for was the only company who did not lose a single employee because he had trained them and trained them and tested them and tested them on all possibilities. And ironically, he is the one, after he got the last people from his company out, he went back into the tower to help other people on other floors and other companies and eventually perished. So, I need to know his. I need to know his name. So I'm going to find out his name and and uh, give it in our next because he deserves our remembrance. He's quite a hero and quite a story for business continuity and response planning. Any questions? Oh, there go my dogs. Every night you can count on hearing my dogs. Well, thanks for coming, everybody, and thanks for you know joining me on this you know, super happy presentation about response planning. And if you want to know more, you know where to find me at. Um, great insight. Thank you, Robin. You're welcome. You're welcome. So have a great meeting and we'll see you next week. Yes, you too. Bye. Bye-bye.